Hi, I'm Danny DeQuisto, the pastor of Redemption Church here in Milwaukee. I'm here with Ron Sanchez, our associate pastor, and this is our Mission Talk podcast. Mission Talk is all about helping ordinary Christians think biblically about what God is trying to get done in the world today and the role we get to play as His church in His redemptive work. In this episode, I have a conversation with Daryl Young, who is a fellow pastor, friend, and also a staff member with the Charles Simeon Trust, which is a ministry focused on equipping local church pastors to do faithful expository preaching. In this conversation, we're going to talk about what expository preaching is, why this kind of training is so vital, including for the work of international missions, and also how our church can partner with Simeon Trust to pull off one of these preaching workshops for pastors in India. I want to note that this conversation was originally recorded a few months ago, even back in February, when we were just getting ready to participate in our local Simeon Trust preaching workshop, which I do each year, and lately a few members of our church have been a part of. And so we do refer to that workshop as coming up in a week or so, uh, but it was actually earlier this year. And with that, here is my conversation with Daryl Young. Well, Redemption, I'm here with uh, a, a pastor friend, Daryl Young, who is the pastor of Crossway Community Church in Canmore in Alberta, Canada. Is that right? That's right. Uh, all right. And uh, Daryl also serves as the Associate Director of International Workshops for the Charles Simeon Trust, uh, which we'll get to in just a minute. But Daryl, just want to say first, just thanks so much uh, for joining me today and doing this interview. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, again, majority of our time here, I'd love to explore a partnership that we've been sort of forming for the sake of our church and between us and Simeon Trust internationally. But first, if you could just tell us a bit about your background, all, including just family life and, and what ministry uh, experience you have. Yeah, so I grew up on the West Coast of California in the Bay Area and a great Christian home. And uh, my church, this is kind of pertinent, my church um, was big on missions. So every year our pastor went to China and Vietnam and explored and brought home all these pictures and artifacts and stories. And so as a, as a young guy, my imagination was filled with this idea of God's global purposes. But I never was attracted to missions as a career. I never thought I would be a missionary. Now, at the same time, our youth pastor, as I grew up, got into high school, our youth pastor was a real word guy. He... Um, he was a real, uh, I guess he took John MacArthur as his model. And so we got two expositions every week in youth group. And uh, he had boxes and boxes of MacArthur's, you know, cassette tapes with the red label on it. Um, and so I was brought up with these twin commitments, I guess you might say, in my church of being uh, real committed to, you know, when you gather, you preach the word and you go verse by verse, you just pound it out and you get into the, to the weeds and you really study that very robust kind of expositional approach as we understood it. Then we'll talk about the details of that in a little while. Yeah. Um, and then also this idea of God's plan for the nations and um, went to Bible college, became a youth pastor. Um, and then eventually uh, got my own church. Now, one little detail that, that was important here is I married a Canadian girl and so we moved to Canada, to, to the prairies, um, just right outside the Rocky Mountains in Calgary, Alberta. When I got my own church, 
I was able to be a little more free about these twin passions of mine. And so our church leaned hard into missions. Um, I'm part of a, I was part of a missionary denomination. So we had connections all over the world. We had the amazing missionaries that would flow through on their missions conferences and all that. And we really leaned into that and we became uh, real committed to supporting missionary work um, in Africa. We did some in Mexico. And so that was our thing. But then I was also able to preach the way I understood the pulpit should go. And so those two things were marked an 18 year run that I had in one individual church along the way. And fairly early on when I was there, I went to my first workshop. It was even before the Simeon Trust existed at Wheaton, at, at the college church at Wheaton. And I was captured by this. And so I just went every year. And then I began uh, asking if we could host one in Calgary. And so that helped form the Simeon Trust. They, they, they started one in Philadelphia, one in Spokane, and one in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Three pastors saying, hey, I can't bring all my friends to Wheaton. Can, we, can you come here? So the Simeon Trust was formed, and then it just grew across the country. I was hosting for several years in uh, Calgary, and then also I began to do some instructing. And then with some of my international connections, I was going to Malaysia, I was going to different places, and I was just kind of trying this out. And right about that time, the Simeon Trust was growing more and more internationally. Some workshops started in uh, Kenya, and then also in India, and we weren't really going to go international. There were other groups that were doing that. We were going to stay domestic, meaning North America, Canada, and the U.S. But then the demands just continued to grow. And so I was asked about six years ago, would I be interested in heading up the international part of the Simeon Trust? And it was one of those things based on my background and based on the fact that I was, it just felt like I was coming to the close of my ministry in that church. I, I don't mean this disrespectful, but disrespectfully do it was one of those things it's like i need to pray about that yes i absolutely want to combine my two passions of word ministry and and this international ministry and so we we did that that's great in the very early years i was the international director uh then we we had a guy who came on right about the same time named jeremy meeks and he was our latin america director and the thing just grew and so i never really did a ton with latin america and then it continued to grow. So I gave up Africa and I gave up Europe and South America. And um, so I was kind of over all that, but it's grown too much for one person to handle all that. So my area of focus now is Asia. And so that's how we got where we are. And I will say this too, that just about every one of us who's on staff and is involved in instructing at workshops, we're also working pastors. Hmm. And this is a super important commitment And that's why it's really helpful that I am a pastor of a church. It's a small, it's a part-time assignment for me, Um, but I'm a working pastor attempting to train working pastors. Mm -hmm. So for example, I just completed my sermon for this Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And um, just last night, I was on a call, which we'll talk about um, preparing for a workshop in China. So these two things go together very closely. I don't have to tell the guys in the call last night, yeah, six years ago when I was a pastor, this is what I did. I'm saying, guys, I'm working out a passage in Amos for tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Or the Sunday. And so there, it, that's a high value for us that we're working Absolutely. pastors, training working pastors. 
and then so how yeah how did you get to the to the pastorate that you're in now there in um in alberta yeah um it you know it's too long of a story to, to tell but basically i was free from my sunday commitments and i spent about a year attending church um which was hard it was hard to go find a church and then sit there in a pew so i'm very anxious and a guy um about an hour's drive away said hey could you fill in for a summer sabbatical that i'm taking yeah so i did that and he came back from the sabbatical hoping that he was healthy again and he just wasn't so then he said would you consider being an interim pastor while the church finds a new guy yeah said sure and they already knew me so i did that and um based on a combination of things the church decided what if you just carried on with this on a more permanent basis um so great i I just kind of stumbled into it is the answer to your question and how, so how long has that been in relation to your role with Simeon? Were you always doing Simeon since you've started pastoring yeah. in Canmore? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, in, I've been with Simeon for six years on staff. This has been a three-year thing. Three. Um, Got it. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that. And uh, it's just a, another reminder to me of why we were such fast friends when we connected yeah. of just these <laughs> passions of, of seeing the gospel proclaimed and, churches multiplied in all the world. And, uh, it's just a, it's just a joy to, to, to see that continue to, to grow between us. And if you could just for a little bit more context for our congregation, just explain what is Simeon trust in particular, and what role do you play in it? You've briefly touched on it, but yeah. a little bit more of like the specific responsibilities that you carry out. Yeah. At the core of it, we train the next generation of Bible expositors in word, word ministry. We're trying to help the working pastor get better at reading his Bible, get better at preaching the Bible. That's the core of it. Our primary core way of delivering this training is through a a, a two and a half day interactive workshop where he is going to come with some work done ahead of time. We're going to give him some homework. He's going to come to that. He's going to hear principles of exposition taught, again, in an interactive setting. And then he's going to have a chance to sit down in a small group with his peers and share the fruits of his work and then have that work critiqued. Pastors almost never go through peer review and peer review is hard. And if you don't want it, you don't have to do it. You can isolate yourself in your office and you can isolate yourself in the pulpit. Think about it. The pulpit can be a rather isolating place. And so here's a chance to to open the books and, and spread your work among your your peers and have them speak into your work that's the core of it um now we do have as as things have developed we've got an online presence and so there there's online work that supplements this live thing that we talk about there's the chicago course on preaching which has become a full-blown residential preaching program that's very intense Mm -hmm. so there are other features added but i'll just stick with the core basic thing is that workshop that you've attended several of uh, yeah. in your um, neighborhood there and that uh, we're multiplying around the world these days. That's great. Yeah. So um, for the sake of context, even for our congregation, I have mentioned the Simeon trust workshops a bit in our, in our church setting, but actually ours is coming up next week. 
yeah. uh, in, in Bristol, Wisconsin. And I haven't mentioned this to you, but I'm excited. They've, I, uh, I'm going to be serving as a, an apprentice small group leader for the first Great. time. And so yeah. I'm excited to get a lot of work to get through all the passages this time, get a little bit of a bearing on, on everything, but that's just, uh, it, it, we have a, about eight members coming with us this year from redemption to, to, to grow in this way. I'm really looking forward to that. And I see it really being a helpful context for, for these guys who will be coming with next week, even to say, mm-hmm. Hey, what, what we've done here is what we hope to see multiplied among the nations in particular, we're going to get to in India here. Uh, and so it just, it's, it's been, it's been neat and perfect timing for us this week because it's yeah. fresh on my mind and I have a workshop right ahead. So, um, yeah, it, before we dive into, um, like international workshops with Simeon, I want to real quick, just spend some time talking about Simeon Trust's philosophy of preaching. You've yeah. mentioned words like exposition um, and, and these things, but basically if you could in shorthand, just tell us according to the Simeon Trust, what makes good preaching good and, and what makes this model of preaching maybe distinct from other approaches? You know, isn't every, every pastor who preaches the Bible kind of trying to do the same thing or uh, yeah. how is this unique? Yeah. So there are, like everything in life, there are categories and there's categories within categories. So I would say that what we want to do, what we want to encourage is that a pastor takes a text and gives the sense of it. That's the idea from Nehemiah 8.8. They, 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 the, they read the word of God and then they gave the people the sense of it. Mm. So <clears throat> I want to give my people a sense of the text. In other words, what's the landscape of the text that I'm in? What are the hills and valleys? How does it flow? I want the sermon to at least reflect that. So um, the point of the, of the passage should be reflected in the point of the sermon. Mm-hmm. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote Romans, he was writing to them then. Mm-hmm. So I've got I've to do that work to find out what Paul was saying to them then. But then I've got to do some more work to, to, to get the idea of what does this text say to us today? Yeah. So there's going to be some work in, in digging, digging into this, uh, doing the study, doing the hard work of, of, of pulling this out. And then there's going to be the work of saying, okay, now how do I present this? Mm-hmm. So maybe another way of saying is I want to get it straight so I can give it straight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to um, understood what it means. So I, I want to understood what it meant so I can understood what it means to us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I want to, I want to get it straight and then I want to get it across. Yeah, that's great. No, it's super helpful. And one thing I just really appreciate about Simeon Trust workshops I've been involved in is it's, they've opened my eyes to how challenging that can be. You know, I, I think I've, I've walked away from the workshops in a way, in a strangely encouraging way, just, just with this reassurance, like preaching is hard. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. uh, you're, you're dealing with ancient texts. There's always, you know, there's oftentimes questions about language and context, but then you also just have to deal with not every passage is super clear. What is that one point? You know, there, there's a number of things going on and trying to understand how everything's working together. And that has a huge impact on the way we preach. Yeah. Right. And, and what is it that our people are going to be fed with? You know, yeah. um, I, I've been shocked each time I walked away by the number of temptations I have in preaching any text to just sort of skim the surface to find something interesting and then take that in a direction that I might be inclined to take it as opposed to really spending the time in a passage to 
internalize it myself so that God can use me then to share it, you know, in a, in a fruitful way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I just, and what well, I, what I, I really, I would, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I would just say too, that a lot of your people, as they have moved around and you go from one church, you know, and then you move to a new city and you find another church, you probably have people coming into your church or your people have known friends who are from a background where the preaching is topical. Yeah. So, you know, um, more like uh, advice for successful living right. or a, 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 a series on the family, all good stuff. You know, it can be a lot of great stuff sure. or finances or whatever, or maybe a narrative idea or maybe a more devotional idea. Mm-hmm. So just because a guy is standing up in a pulpit with a Bible open doesn't mean he's doing the same thing as the next guy down the street. Exactly. Yeah. But what are his convictions? What does he believe about the Holy Spirit? What does he believe about what the word does when the spirit is working in the life blood of the community? Mm-hmm. But it's even more nuanced than that. I mentioned earlier John MacArthur, and I grew up with that as, as the model for how you open the Bible and preach. And it's not a bad model. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be careful. Or maybe some of your people are from, you know, Bible chapel um, uh, backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, great verse-by-verse exposition. And I think that, that there can be a lot of fruitfulness that can come from that. Mm-hmm. But I think I would nuance it this way. And I'm not speaking for everybody associated with the Simeon Trust. I guess I'm speaking a little more for myself. That what I'm looking for is, is more of a literary unit. So in, in the letters of Paul, for example, I'm looking for a paragraph. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to saying, well, what, what word do I see in this verse? And does that then spring me forward to a study of that word all through the Bible? No, I want to see that word in the context of that paragraph. Right. I want to take that whole paragraph and say, what's the message of the paragraph? Mm-hmm. And then communicate that. Or maybe it's a psalm. Or maybe it's a story in Second Kings or Exodus or something like that. What's the literary unit that makes sense? And I'm going to give the sense of that. And I'm going to, I'm going to always have a gospel application there. Right. So when we talk about biblical exposition, we don't mean just explaining a paragraph from the Bible, right? We mean preaching it yeah. with an application that ultimately will have to do with the gospel. That's so it. that's, yeah. these are really important things that might distinguish what we mean by exposition from maybe some other groups, even if those groups are very friendly to us and we love them and we right. love them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is one of my biggest, this might be even worth a whole other episode someday, but I really want to equip our church to know what makes good preaching good, because I think we have a tendency to assess content in all different kinds of ways, the shows that we watch or videos that someone sends us and articles we read. And a lot of it's very instinctual. It's very much, well, how did this land on me? What did, how did this challenge me? But there is something about our convictions about the scriptures. You know, I think about our, our podcast that we are doing here. We talk about uh, we want a, a biblical understanding of what God is trying to get done in the world. Right. What I love about expositional preaching is that it, it stems from this belief that what God is trying to get done in the world, he has said he will do by the power of his word. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, so it's not just a dorky, Hey, what's the best, most intellectually stimulating way to know it's there. There's a real sense in which there's a spiritual power here that surpasses our own sort of rhetorical ability and our own personalities and all these other preferences. I hope that we see this as our church develops preachers that can share this with different personalities and different unique ways of, of doing it. But 
so that when anybody gets up in our church um, to preach a, a text faithfully, what they're looking for is not how does this guy land on me so much yeah. as, you know, is he bringing me to the message uh, that God has for us in that passage? And if he's yeah. doing that, then using that as a measurement of good. So I, I just want to express that's, that's my affinity for, for Simeon trust. And that's why I'm so passionate about it and grateful for the work and approach. Um, I, I would like to start broadly here as we look to international workshops, my sense of Simeon trust is that the roots are sort of inspired by actually an English pastor and preacher, Dick Lucas, who did the proclamation yes. trust in, in England the UK, uh, but then they be, it began here in the States through the ministry of Kent Hughes, who was part of Wheaton uh, College there in Illinois. It sounds like you were involved pretty early in that process. I was hanging around. Was yeah. Hanging around. And then, and then also have been involved in seeing it expand right to international settings. And so, yeah. um, but, but it seems like the roots are fairly Western and English speaking, yeah. both, both in the UK and the U S. So if you could just describe the work that Simeon Trust is doing across cultures, even in, in non-Western cultures like yeah. India, for instance. And I would just mention the Proclamation Trust is like a fountain, and Simeon Trust is one group that was birthed out of that ground. <laughs> yeah. Metaphor is terribly sure. there. Um, but there's several ministries that are doing similar work, maybe delivering it in slightly different ways. And again, yep. great colleagues, great friends. We touch base on, hey, I'm in the Philippines. Uh, I work with this guy. Yeah, I know that guy. So we, there's lots of that coordination and discussion going on. Sure. And all of us find our roots back with Dick Lucas and David Jackman at the Simeon Trust. These are uh, the Proclamation Trust. Hmm. Um, yeah, and the thing, it, it does, it grows. And, and I like to say the, the, the primary way it grows is that a guy knows a guy. <laughs> so a guy from Brazil went to <clears throat> Proclamation Trust and he met our Robert Kinney. And then they formed a friendship. And then Rob, the guy said, hey, can you come and do a workshop in Brazil? Yeah, a guy in Malaysia did that, and they put us together. Or a guy uh, read Dave Helm's book, that little book that comes out of the Nine Marks series. Yep, it's amazing how much that book—it's been translated into like I don't know, fifteen or twenty languages. We'll be we'll be at a booth at a big convention, and some guy will walk up with a, a version, you know, from Nepal, and say, "Did you know this book is in?" No, yeah. <laughs> somebody just kind of pirated it and you know produced it. Well, can, sure. can we get Dave Helm to come? I want Dave Helm to come and and lead a workshop and Dave will get a call or an email inviting him to some place. And he'll say, get a hold of Daryl. And so yeah. I'll, I'll pick this up and I'll say, yeah, well, let's see what the possibility is here. And then we'll, we'll try to do um, make some connection. What we'll do in a, in a situation where it's a fresh start, there's a guy, he says he can gather 35 working pastors in a room. Uh, we'll do what we call an exploratory workshop um, where we'll go and just do a workshop and there's no point in me, like it might be kind of fun for me to just to travel around and meet people um, and say, I'll, I'll come there for a day or two and we'll go for coffee. But it, we, what's the point of that? We just go and try to do a workshop. Hmm. Uh, and if it works, man, we'll come back and try it again. Yeah. And so that's typically how we go. I'll give I'll give India as an example. There was a Canadian guy, an orthopedic sur surgeon named Joshua Raj, who was actually born and raised in Malaysia. And, uh, but he had all these roots in, um, India, and he was doing some charitable work there through the Anglican Church. But he's a doctor living in Canada. Well, he puts us together, and we make this connection, and now we're doing workshops in India. So we're in, say, Delhi, or we're in Dehradun or Bangalore, and there's a guy that comes from another city. He comes to that workshop, and he says, hey, I want, would like this workshop in my city. 
And so we talk and we say, okay, bring a few guys, just like what you're doing. You're bringing some guys from your church. Maybe he's brought some guys from his community or his uh, church. And then they say, we've got enough of us back in our town to do this. Hmm. And so we'll look at that and we'll say, okay, next time when I, next year, when I come, we'll do this city where we've been together, where we met and we'll go to your, your city as well. And so it's a guy knows a guy and it just yeah. can grow. It spreads some of them naturally. will peter out. Some of them will just fizzle. Some of them will take off like wildfire. Yeah. Well, that's great. And, and so basically, as I mentioned, we're getting ready for a Simeon Trust workshop this week. Got eight guys going, you know, just to give a rough sketch for everybody, just practically, you know, what does that look like? You, you, every, every workshop is based on a particular book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. and you are assigned two passages that you do your pre-work for. You go and study it to the point where you can, ba- there's a whole worksheet lays out a process, but to the point where you can present basically an outline of the sermon mm-hmm. and you, you come and then you hear these lessons um, on these different principles of exposition. So like uh, what we'll, we'll, could throw out one of the principles, if you could, Daryl, of Simeon's trust, Simeon trusts exposition model. Well, one of them would be structure. So you, you just mentioned an outline. So what's the flow of this passage? How has right. the author divided this work? Absolutely. And so based on each book of the Bible, for instance, determining the structure of a psalm would be very different than determining the structure of a gospel narrative, right. uh, which is very different than interpreting the, the, instru- the structure of, of uh, a letter, for instance. And so we'll, we'll basically each instruction is, is helping to understand the particularities of those things. And then for me, my experience always happens every year. The lights start to click on and I understand how I should have prepared my work, my worksheet that I already had prepared and I'm getting ready to present yeah. in my small group, but you learn a lot. You actually just said something that's hugely important to the process of going yeah. back year after year. Yeah. Take that same lesson on structure, but apply it to different biblical text. Types. Right. Totally. And now I'm, oh, I'm learning how about structure in poetry. I'm learning about structure in narrative. I'm learning about structure in uh, discourse, huge deal. Absolutely. So you're getting reinforcement, but you're also spreading out. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. And so basically that's what we're getting ready to do next week with eight members of our church, uh, which I'm really excited about. And, and this is also what we're talking about as a partnership with Simeon Trust, mm-hmm. trying to sponsor and get behind in India in particular. And yeah. so there's a number of groups in these cities that you've mentioned who are working to this. Obviously it's been unique with COVID and different challenges yeah. there. It sounds like you've done some things online, but you know, um, I want to ask you, and we'll, we'll, we'll end by asking, what will that partnership look like? But, but one question I want to ask you first, I value your insight on this, and I think it'd be helpful for us to hear. But basically, as we think about all the things we could do as a church, right, to pursue the Great Commission and make much of Christ in all the world, why do you think it's a good idea for us to focus on equipping pastors to do expository preaching, right? It seems like there's so many things we could do. So, so yeah. why this? Yeah, so I have strong feelings about this. And I've been on a lot of different sides on this in church life. I think it's fantastic that people want to go and do community development, you know, put a water well in, um, human trafficking, um, literacy programs. All these are good things and they should continue to be pursued. However, there's something that I think undergirds all that and will make those projects last longer. And that's having a Bible preacher in the community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> imagine, the, imagine the long-term generational changes that can happen when the gospel comes and takes root. Where the gospel comes and takes root, you tend to get 
over time, and I'm not saying in every place, but you tend to get increase in literacy and education. Your healthcare improves, your commerce improves, um, your legal system improves. So there is a sense where gospel work is foundational to all the wonderful and creative things that we like to do when we think of modern church missions. So go on a short-term mission strip and build a church building. I'm not against that as long as it's done without, you know, stripping the place of resources and, you know, being condescending. There's all kinds of things you want to nuance to do that sure. right. Yeah. But think about instead of painting a, a, a wall or building a building, what if you built into the life of, of a local pastor mm-hmm. and set him up for a life for decades of, of multiplicate multiplying pulpit ministry. So that that's, I'm biased. I'll admit my biases, but I think this is foundational to everything else that you want to do missions wise. That includes church planting. That includes evangelism. I mean, I'm really connected to people who have gone all over Africa and shown the Jesus movie in to big crowds and had Mm -hmm. tons of decisions. Yeah. Um, What if you left behind there a, a few Bible expositors? Damn. Amen. Just imagine yeah. that. So, yeah, I, I I appreciate your answer, and this is definitely worth a whole episode to talk about just the, the purpose and the goal of missions. But I I just I also what I really love uh, as I even just read the book of Acts is how the Spirit does its work through the Word, mm-hmm. and and the result of that everywhere the gospel is proclaimed and disciples are made are, are these churches that are right. formed up and. You even hear Paul say that it was God's will to to reveal his manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places through the church. And so for me, I and I just trust that again, it, it's it's by hearing the word of Christ that we respond in faith and are welcomed into that church. And so in view for me always in developing preachers is so that sinners can repent and be redeemed and gathered into local churches, having those healthy churches in all different places and settings is, is ultimately an end goal and trusting that this mission has been entrusted to these churches, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, man, I, I just, uh, I'm really grateful for this focus and, and I see it a direct line between the two of, of preaching and church planting. I mean, mm-hmm. our church planting efforts and, and church health will only be as healthy as our preaching. I'm convinced. Yeah. And yeah. so, and thank you uh, for the, the work that you guys do there and, and making it accessible to us. I mean, where would we start? <laughs> you know, in trying to develop preachers, uh, apart from some of the networks and, and, uh, momentum yeah. that you've, you've developed. So we're, we're really grateful. And, th- and that leads to our last question here. So we have explored, obviously I've shared our family, my personal story of, of adopting mm-hmm. a little girl in India. Uh, and we are still in the midst of that process. It's really been encouraging, but it's given us a heart to explore. Well, how can we develop meaningful ongoing relationships? It's one of my goals in the coming years, that would, that would get our family and, and based on my role at our church, hopefully our church to India to see the gospel proclaimed churches multiplied mm-hmm. uh, and disciples made. So that said, uh, you know, I imagine this partnership will probably grow and evolve over the years, but in short, uh, what can we do as a church to help support these mm-hmm. kinds of expository preaching workshops for pastors in India? Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm going to just go right to it. A couple, couple issues. One, everybody's expecting me to say, but there's truth in it. We need financial support. Yeah. So um, if you if you would give financially to what we're doing, that helps because uh, we got to pay the bills. Yeah. So that's that's there. 
But what I would encourage, and I think what you have helped provoke in us and what we're working on is not just send a check, but, but send your love, send your help, send your people. Like, let's go, let's, Mm -hmm. let's go. Um, And what we have right now is COVID. Uh, India is still um, feeling the effects of that. I was just talking to Arvind, who is our, our staff guy who lives in, in Bangalore, India, talking to him this week and things are beginning to change. It's shifting. Um, India is kind of giving up on trying to stamp out COVID. They're, everybody's just doing their thing. And yeah. COVID is doing what COVID's doing there. There are still some restrictions, but we're looking at hopefully, well, we're going to decide at the end of February, basically, is what we decided. Um, okay. End of February, beginning of March, we're going to just look at the situation again and say, where are we? What can we put on onto the calendar? That's mm-hmm. practical. Can North Americans begin going to India, not having to be in a hotel for two weeks, that kind of thing. Right. That's debilitating for a trip. But we're going to start putting things on the calendar with a view to getting back over there. And we'll start with Bangalore. Bangalore has become a real um, anchor uh, location for us. Mm-hmm. It has a, the guy, our, our, our main host on the ground, a guy named Stephen, has just attracted people. He has just drawn people. We had a workshop there a couple of years ago with 35 guys and every single one of them was either a full-time pastor or a missionary, or they were a teaching elder, a lay elder in their church, Mm -hmm. which is a spectacular thing. Some of these guys were themselves missionaries to Muslim group, Muslim locations around India. And a lot of these guys are actively persecuted. Mm -hmm. So who doesn't want to come alongside them and encourage them? Absolutely. And Indians are lovely people. They love to laugh. They love to, they love to show us our, their food. They love to try to train guys like me and how to eat properly and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so they're super relational. And, um, and these guys are passionate about Jesus. I mean, they love the Lord. Some of them are quite well-educated. You meet a lot of guys who come out of medical or computer engineering programs, uh, backgrounds, and now they're pastors. So there's a lot of education, a lot of competency and literacy. Almost every Indian speaks English to some level. That's an exaggeration, but there's in, uh, in English is widely spoken there. So it's very easy to move around and function. Mm. Although there are, there is a guy who is trying to connect us to two groups of 50 each of pastors who um, speak the te- Telugu language. And we're trying to get to their um to their cities that's that's the most exciting optimistic part of yeah what's coming up so i imagine that the closer you are to a major city the more prevalent english probably is is that fair uh, that's probably true yeah yeah and these workshops that you've done in india are all of them done in english no no we 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 have had a lot of translation into hindi okay and um Can- canada i'm not saying that quite right but there's there's like 17 official languages in india yeah um, so there's lots of mixing, but for the most part, when we've gone online, I'll be honest with you, when we went to do some online workshops, we said, let's make it an all English one. Mm-hmm. Um, translating through a zoom workshop is it's tough, difficult. Yeah. I just spent Got two it. hours last night with a bunch of Chinese guys trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds hard. Yeah. That's great. That's great. 
Well, good. And uh, yeah, well, I'm excited to continue exploring that. Uh, we did actually get a notice through our adoption agency recently that travel restrictions have just changed. Like yesterday, we got a pretty sure. important email. So I'm encouraged. I can actually forward it to you if you yeah, want. I'll take it. Yeah. And take a look. So uh, it seems definitely like it's opening up and I'm encouraged to hear, you know, where you land and, you know, um, hopefully just getting our first foot in in the door here to see this work, however we can be of help and support. Yeah. We're really excited, uh, excited to do it. And I want to give one encouraging word to somebody in your church who says, I'll never be a preacher. I'll never, I'm never going to stand up in front of a group and, and teach sure. the Bible. And this would, I'll admit, this would apply more to men because the workshops are full of men. But I want to tell you a story about a guy from my church here in Canada who, who came along with me. He's not theologically oriented um, in, in a robust way. But man, the guy loves Jesus. And he said, I'll come at my own expense. I'll just show up. I don't have to do anything to get him there. He just showed up. Hmm. And what he did was he just started to circulate um, during the breaks, have lunch with this guy, um, you know, uh, sit down and, and talk to this guy. And I would look up and I'd see my friend, his name is Wayne, and he'd have his hands on the shoulder of some young, big Indian kid. Wayne's a short guy. So he's doing this. <laughs> and he's got his hands on him and he's just praying for him. Right. And then when they were done, they're both wiping tears away from their eyes. Yeah. And these guys at the end of the workshop, they're all going, Wayne, we love Wayne. You know, so Wayne just went over and built friendships and just prayed for these guys. Hmm. So you don't have to necessarily be like, I'm coming to lead a small group or I'm coming to preach. What if right. you just came and just served yeah. and just loved these guys? So that's fantastic. That's something that you'll, you'll work out. Um, yeah, as we absolutely. You know, and we'll, we'll keep up to date on, on the details and we're certainly planning to give some, uh, and, and all of that, but that detail right there is what I look forward to the most, where we can start to develop ongoing investment and relationships, uh, with these pastors and even their churches to where hopefully we can pray for them and, and, uh, and just, just be eager to see God at work in their midst over the years. And that would just be, uh, the, really the, the, the great end goal that I think we have in mind here. So Daryl, yeah. thank you so much uh, for the ministry that you do and, and the time you've taken here to help us understand it. And uh, we look forward to seeing uh, these next steps through in the next couple months here and getting a little bit more clarity. Amen. Let's see where it goes, brother. Thank you. And thank your church so much. Great. 